This is the official HITS training and consulting podcast. We are America's law enforcement canine training resource. We're raising the training bar for police dogs everywhere by discussing the intricate details of the training techniques used by the experts. HITS radio is merging the training world with the real world. You've been there. We've been there too. Welcome to Hits Radio. I'm your host, Jeff Meyer. Today I have Paul Hammond from Vaporway Canine with me. Paul's uh, going to teach some classes at Hits for us. He's very deep into the bomb dog world. He's got a lot of experience. I'm excited to talk to him a little bit about some of the experience. He's, uh, he's been there and done that when it comes to bomb dogs. And he's also real active in, in looking forward and seeing what, uh, what other things we could do with a bomb dog and how we could change that technology for the better all the time. So with that, uh, welcome, Paul. How are you? Hey, I'm doing great, Jeff. Uh, actually, pleasure to be here. And I'm really looking forward to the uh, HITS conference as well. Yeah, I know we have you teaching a couple of different classes at HITS in Chicago this year. So I thought, you know, get you on here, let our listeners, uh, I think a lot of them already know who you are. But for those who, who maybe haven't been to your class or uh, don't know as much about you, can you tell me a little bit about just your background and uh, where you, where uh, your, some of your experience comes from? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you look, uh, my name is Paul Hammond. As, as you know, um, I'm currently the president of VWK9, um, which is heavily into um, kind of a all sorts of uh, working dog industry uh, from canine sales, handler education, uh, body-worn explosive detection, i.e. vapor wake, um, you know, is, is our main sort of uh, forte along with explosive detection. Um, and I'm also the president of uh, the Cargo Screening Canine Alliance, CSK9, which is obviously part of the new uh, third-party canine program that the TSA has just regulated um, to screen uh, cargo for explosives on passenger airlines at this minute in time. So I've been in K9 for 30 years. Um, you know, um, that's not too unusual. There's a lot more older and bolder than I that have been in a lot longer. But I guess what is unusual is uh, that 30 years, uh, 21 of those years have been uh, operating explosive detection dogs and uh, managing explosive detection programs in hostile environments around the world. Um, I spent uh, 15 years uh, in uh, the British Army Dog Unit in Northern Ireland um, as an explosive detection uh, dog handler, tracker handler, and, and so on, and uh, managed out there as well. And, uh, of course, Northern Ireland, um, infamous for its, um, you know, terrorism, uh, domestic terrorism, um, you know, battling wits against uh, terrorist organizations like the IRA and um, from the Republican side, and, and also um, some of the you know, also volunteer forces and so on from the uh, Protestant side. Um, so it was very challenging times, you know. Sure. Uh, I think we lost uh, 1,400 plus British soldiers uh, over 35 years of, of conflict there. Um, mm. You know, I myself uh, walked, you know, down towards over 2,000 devices in, in my 15 years that I was there. Um, so, you know, you certainly um, learn every trick in the book and, uh, almost develop a sixth sense when you're going down towards real devices and, and every one of them's different, different scenarios, different trigger mechanisms. And, you know, uh, you constantly have to, uh, you know, be sharp and, and outthink your, uh, the terrorist organization that's, that's trying to do you harm. Um, so, you know, I really learned my craft, uh, in exposed section of world in Northern Ireland, but then, 
in 2005, um, I, I had a uh, call to go to the private sector into the Middle East. So I left the British military and uh, went over to the Middle East, uh, where I um, you know, managed some high-profile uh, programs for the Department of State, uh, Department of Defense in support of, uh, with the private sector. And, um, of course, that's a whole different type of terrorism in, from the international sense. Um, and I spent seven years, uh, continuous years, in Iraq and Afghanistan. Um, uh, so certainly saw a, a different side uh, to domestic terrorism. The international scene was uh, very, uh, very intriguing indeed. But, uh, but yeah, so a big, big operational background. And I also have a, a background in the sciences as well. Um, you know, I was a senior scientific working dog advisor uh, for DERA, uh, for the British uh, government. Um, we used to do a lot of coming out of Northern Ireland and going to some very secret locations in, in Scotland and, and working on sort of the next terrorist threats and so on and uh, working hand in hand with science uh, and top scientists, government scientists, uh, really got me uh, understanding the, the, uh, the, the, the requirement to, uh, you know, mix uh, operations with the sciences um, to, you know, better come together and, 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 and produce a better product as a canine team um, to, to, to beat terrorism. Um, and that followed on, of course, coming to America with Auburn University uh, canine science program and hence uh, the Vapeweight program and, and so on. So, yeah, just a strong operational background and um, scientific background uh, over my 30 years. And um, it's it's kept me safe and, and, and hopefully uh, I can pass some of that knowledge on. Outstanding. Uh, you, you said, you know, you, you might not be the longest serving handler, but you obviously have a great number of years. I think the amount of operational experience you have is just outstanding because luckily in this country, we don't find a lot of bombs. So there might be some bomb dog handlers like myself that are out there every day, but uh, luckily we're not finding a lot of bombs, but I know you personally have been around a lot of bombs. So yeah, um, I think that experience, you know, you can't replicate that. So no, absolutely. Uh, in fact, when I'm teaching, um, you know, it's, it's important, you know, it's, it's nobody's fault that they haven't walked down towards a, a live explosive device. Um, but what we can do is prepare them for it. Um, for yeah. those of us that have, because, you know, you know, as I teach in my, in my classes, um, you know, the manuals that we have been taught, uh, from, um, we really need to rip them up. Um, to be quite frank with you, when it goes down to, when it comes to, uh, you know, facing, uh, real opponents and, and real, uh, terrorist threats, um, they're just a base, um, level of handling. Um, but you really have to step forward and, and um, put yourself into operational scenarios and so forth. And hence why, you know, one of the classes I'm, I'm teaching at HITS is the importance of operational-based explosive detection training and the use of intelligence gathering. Yeah. Outstanding. So let me, let me go a little further into that. Uh, from the first time you were working a dog out in the field with the military there, um, what, I'm sure many, many things have changed, but... Give me a couple of examples of some of the things maybe that you did back then that now when you look at it, it's like, wow, that's a head scratch. Why, why did we ever do that? You know, so yeah. it's changed for the better, obviously. Yeah, look, I'm going to flip it on the head a little bit. I don't necessarily think it has changed for the better. Um, to be quite frank with you, I think there are, uh, are too many restrictions now and um, a skill fade um, from uh, personnel that have, have been operational um, in uh, in agencies and, and government, uh, you know, canine organizations and so forth, even in the private sector, 
um, I think it's actually gone backwards, uh, to be quite, quite frank with you. Um, you know, we like to think the canine industry uh, moves forward and strives forward. And I certainly see that from a training aspect of training canines in the various disciplines. I think uh, there's a lot of good new ideas and, 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 you know, people are learning all the time. But uh, to be quite frank with you, I think uh, operational base training and, and operational use and deployment is, uh, is one of those areas that has gone backwards. Um, because certainly, you know, um, when I look at canine teams in my current position, um, as the president of uh, VW Canine, um, you obviously have a lot of international students come through our academy um, and law enforcement, military and so forth, you know, several hundred a year come through the academy and, and having been deployed um, with various agencies and working for them and with them. Um, you know, I, I, I tend to think that, um, you know, our industry has gone backwards um, over the last five, 10 years um, with regards to um, you know, the quality of operations and the understanding of use and deployment. I, I think uh, back uh, when I first started in the uh, late 80s and early 90s, uh, obviously getting thrown straight into uh, an operational environment like Northern Ireland and, and getting called out in some instances between five and 20 times a day to various bomb threats and warnings. Um, you know, we, we certainly um, listened and learned and had the expertise around us as new handlers um, because we were we were in a part of a team and um, and it was great that that knowledge was being passed on because he needed it to stay alive um, and unfortunately flip into today um, there isn't the um, the amount of experience going down towards lies devices and so on out there on the explosive front. And um, and certainly a lot of the government military uh, agencies and academies and trainers and instructors, um, you know, they're, they've done three, three years, five, seven years, but they've never been to a, in a conflict. Um, sure. And it's not their fault. But I'm, my point is, is that their, their, their experience comes from doctrine, um, not necessarily from operations. Um, and because of that, I think uh, students that are, are going through their courses um, are not best being best prepared. Um, in fact, when I look at uh, what makes a good canine team, I would, um, you know, probably put a 70% proficiency rating on most quality dog teams, uh, but no, nowhere near 100%. Um, uh, you know, when I look at, you know, canine proficiency standard, I think uh, I gauge that at around 35%. I think, uh, you know, teams can can make a proficient canine, um, especially once a year when it comes to doing certification and they, you know, quickly go out and imprint all their dogs on their various different odors and are able to pass the uh, superficial test as it were, uh, rather than operational-based test. Um, uh, when I look at uh, handler skill and operation, operating experience within their um, area of operation, I, I would put another figure of 35% on that, um, you know, because, you know, people understand if they work for Amtrak police, they understand their role and, and they, they, they're good handlers inherently with leash manipulation and, and search productive, productive areas and so forth and so on. But I will tell you that that, in my world, equates to 70%, but there is 30% that I, I don't think people do well. Um, and 20% of that, uh, of the remaining 30, is operational-based training. Uh, and the other 10% is the use of intelligence gathering um, to better shape your search. And sure. that's what I really go into um, at the HITS conference uh, in my class, is understanding of the importance of operational-based training. Um, and, uh, and you know, we've all heard the cliche of, 
you know, a dog going into a local car park, a vehicle lot to do training, and he's sucking the paint off of vehicles as he goes around and searches because he knows this game because um, it's his training. It's a training vehicle lot, and Dad's come down to the kennel to see him, and he knows what's happening, and he's up for it and everything else. But that same dog team are out, you know, maybe in a police vehicle and I twenty and. Um, they do a traffic stop and they want the dog to search and that dog's no longer sucking paint off of a vehicle. He just cannot wait to get round and get back into the safety of his vehicle. Um, sure. you know, um, and that's the difference between a dog understanding, uh, operational, uh, based training, uh, equals operational based rewards, um, rather than, you know, in-house training, uh, which is outside of the operation environment. And so I think it's an important part, uh, that 20%. And I think it's missing from a lot of dog teams out there. Um, and finally the 10% I mentioned about intelligence gathering, you know, I see a lot of dog teams come into a scenario, whether it's in training or going out there operationally, and they don't ask any questions. They don't try and shape and define their search by asking relevant uh, information, relevant questions. You know, you know, has this area been searched before? What's the threat? Who's the VIP? And all these different intelligence gathering. What's the route in? What's the room number? What's the time and duration? And has this been advertised? And and all these things that can really shape. Uh, and fine-tune your dog um, uh, to be more proficient and save energy during this, the search. Um, so, yeah, I think um, I'm going to disagree slightly and, and say that I think we've actually gone backwards somewhat um, uh, because of the lack of operational-based skill. Um, but, hey, that's great why uh, your conference is uh, allowing people like me to speak and hopefully pass on a little bit of knowledge. So from a big perspective then, um, and we won't have time to get into the whole thing. So, uh, you know, obviously in the class, you, you get real deep into the woods on this. But okay. if somebody's listening to this and they're they're here and, and they they can they're thinking, okay, I understand what operational operational based uh, training would be. Maybe give a couple of general examples. You know, I say I've I've done all traditional training. I've really never done scenario based. So, mm-hmm. what would be a good way to start down that road and get get a little bit better and get that twenty percent in that, that I'm missing? Well, well, first of all, in my world, um, you know, tra- the word training, um, you know, is singular, um, but really it, it should be threefold in explosive detection. Um, I look at training as regular, progressive and corrective. Um, so, you know, we all go out and do regular training, you know, where we maintain our dog um, on certain explosive odors and we rotate through the explosive odors and we rotate through the productive areas search, whether it's baggage, vehicles, buildings, open areas and so on. OK, and, and we'll go out and we'll pat ourselves on the back when, you know, the dog is led into an area. He he's actively searching productive areas and all of a sudden there's a change of behavior and the the dog uh, comes into odor and, and plants his ass and, and, and job well done. And we praise ourselves and go out, you know, um, that's regular training, but you know, inevitably on most regular training days, there are issues. You know, the dog isn't quite going into the corners properly. He's not understanding productive areas search. He's too clingy to his handler or he's too loose or, or his, his leash can uh, work on the, end of a line is not good enough. Um, you know, he's walking through odor and then coming back around as a confirmation, all these various issues, you know, the dog doesn't find something easily is, his depth is poor, um, hides at height are poor and so on, but we never really set, um, a, a training pattern to correct those things. Okay. Uh, we acknowledge them when we see them and we probably see five to 10 issues during a search. If we actually analyzed it properly or videoed it, 
uh, we see many issues, um, but we clip our dog up and go away. Um, in my world, we teach that as regular, but we always learn and gather in information from that search. And that works us on to progressive. So progressive scenarios, they take a little bit more planning. So my dog had, um, you know, I want to extend his endurance, okay, because um, he's starting to, you know, uh, lose interest after 10, 15 minutes. Sure. So I'm going to set up scenarios 10, 12, 15, 18, 20, and so on in succession and build his endurance up. I'm going to do roading with my dog and treadmill work with my dog and so on to build his endurance. There's a progressive plan to make my dog extend his search out, or there's a progressive plan of aid placements to gather height and depth um, and complexities in the search. Okay, that takes time. That takes a lot of planning, okay? And a lot of handlers, you know, don't want to give that time or don't have the knowledge to plan yeah. out progressive. Um, so that would be the next one. And, of course, the final one I mentioned was corrective. You know, if a dog isn't going into corners or a dog, you know, isn't is having problems with potassium chlorate or, um, you know, some other substance, then we've got to come up with a corrective plan to actually – uh, fix those issues, okay, and whether it's in stages or going straight into it. So, you know, one of the biggest things is is the types of training, of course, um, and understanding, you know, regular, progressive, and corrective. And and finally, I will talk just a few seconds about um, explosives and also about the, the uh, location that you're searching in. So on the explosive front, you know, depending on what organization or agency you're, you're talking to, um, or, or being part of, you know, whether you've got 12 odors, 15, 20, 26 odors uh, that on an annual basis you have to hit, um, you know, keeping your dog maintained on all those odors is part of your problem. In an operational-based world, I would just pick the top six, okay, that are relevant to me. So in Northern Ireland, I would have my dog on Semtex H, um, ammonium nitrate and caster sugar, which we call ANS, um, you know, black powder, big pipe bombs and those types of things. So I would choose those devices uh, or those explosive contents that were current, okay, both in my area of operation. Then I would see what's happening in Europe and then I would see what's happening in the Middle East, okay? And I would, between the Europe and the Middle East, I would add another two or three odors on because what happens is internationally, the trends from the Middle East of devices that they're seeing there, typically six months to a year later, find their way into Europe. Uh -huh. Six months later, they find their way into the U.S., um, I, I literally watched the trend of pipe bombs um, and TATP um, take a two-year trend from the Middle East right to our doorsteps, okay? Sure. Um, so having an understanding of what's happening internationally, gathering the, um, the intel from the explosives that are likely to be found in this country, now I'm shaping my operational-based training mostly on TATP or pipe bombs um, because that's what's most likely to be found. And if, if my area of operation is, you know, 60% in vehicles on a daily basis um, and 30% in buildings um, and 10% in, in baggage, I'm going to base my training on 60% mostly in vehicles in an urban environment using TATP or pipe bombs in, in, in the first instance. Now what I'm doing is I'm training my dog to be operational and increasing his chance of having a live operational find because I'm fine-tuning. Now, the doctrine doesn't tell you to do that, and the certification yeah. guidelines don't tell you to do that. And, of course, 
once a year, the month before, you absolutely want to imprint your dog on all the other odors to pass certification. But that's the kind of world that I'm living in uh, or have lived in, fine-tuning the proficiency of the dog, the energies of the dog, the odor imprintation of the dog, and so on. Um, so there's a lot of that I go into in more detail over the, in the two-hour um, you know, um, seminar yeah. that I give. Um, but you know, that just gives you a little glimpse into my mind. A lot of this you won't finding any doctrine. Uh, far from it, but I can guarantee you, your dog will be ready to find TATP on a vehicle uh, in your area of operation um, if you mostly train for it. See, and I, I like that concept. I like the idea. I always, I always call it training with a purpose. So, if I set out a hide, it's never just grab some random odor, go throw it in a drawer and in, in an office, and walk away just so I can put it down. There's always a a purpose behind it. So, hearing what you're saying just kind of motivates me even more to even put more of a purpose behind that and, and um, fine tune it even more. Um, Cause I, I don't like playing just hide and seek for the purpose of trying to fill up a training sheet. You know, right. And it's a little bit of complacency uh, that set, yep. me. you know, the number one killer of, of canine dog teams. And I've lost uh, many good friends um, in, in the conflicts that I've been involved with. Um, and the number one killer is complacency, you know, and it's unfortunate, yep. but that's just the way it is. And, you know, I look at an operational canine scent picture. I know a lot of, um, trainers, instructors nowadays, they say, you know, odor, odor, odor. Um, but I just don't believe that. You know, I think uh, that the scent picture of an explosive device is the actual explosive itself, of course, uh, related bomb-making materials, uh, human scent, and fresh disturbance are all present. You know, sure. you can sure. use them to your advantage. And I've had many successful finds using, you know, all of those uh, things individually sure. as well. Um, sure. and thwarted, you know, several devices just on human scent and fresh disturbance where a terrorist organization is, 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 is um, dug a, a hole ready to put the device in. And my dog showed change of behavior and interest, not indicated. That's different. Yeah. Um, that's when explosive odors present. But they've saved my life just based on human scent and fresh disturbance. You know, the types of trigger mechanisms and things that we're using. You know, there's no point in putting the device out um, and saying, oh, you know, when I ask a student or, or, or somebody I'm teaching, okay, why? Why did you put that device there and uh, what type of trigger mechanism would be attached to that device you know would it be radio controlled victim activated timer power unit you know and they, they really don't understand uh, and, and that's you know that's the depth of advanced handling and getting into that because if you do understand the threat and you do understand what it takes to put a trigger mechanism in this area with the right size battery pack to be able to initiate the charge when primed and so forth and so on now you can really understand it can't possibly be placed here and here so now i'm prioritizing my area as you know this exactly. drop off point this walkway and so forth and and then hence prioritizing the search and then I'm not searching a whole hotel Correct. that I don't need to search. I'm going to search the productive areas where the threat is. Absolutely. I, you know, I was doing a, a train, uh, trail, a rail track, um, you know, almost two kilometers uh, where the uh, terrorist organization had said there was a device that was going to go off, um, you know, when, it, when a train was coming through. And, um, you know, a two kilometers of track, uh, very hard for your dog on his paws because of the, the stones and the metal and, and everything else and so on. And, you know, I, I was very experienced and I came um, and attached to my infantry team um, who were pretty inexperienced and they were pretty bewildered when I clipped up my dog and said, follow me, let's go. And, and literally walked for, you know, half a, half a mile up the track before I'd even put my dog into harness. But I come to the first vulnerable point, sharp bend in the track, stopped short, put my dog in harness and, and, and went to work and then put him out of harness and 
And on we marched again until I come across a tunnel and blah, 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 and so on. And I just, you know, in, in, in two miles or two kilometers of, of track, um, you know, I probably put my dog in harness for, you know, 20 minutes when it, it could have taken four hours. Sure. Um, but I was just looking for vulnerable points. And eventually I came across a, a tunnel and, and had a great find and, you know, and um, all my, more importantly, if I'd have gone by the book, my dog would have probably not had the energy or proficiency to actually find something because he would have been exhausted. Yet doing it my way with the experience and operational-based training, um, I was able to have a fresh dog and, and, and have to find. Yeah, I'm really looking forward. I've been through your class, but as a bomb dog handler, I'm looking forward to going through it again because you definitely are hitting a lot of areas that you know I, I have not seen and I've been around for a little bit. Um, so I'm glad that you know, you're coming out to hits. I'm glad you're you're sharing all this with us. Uh, my experience has been sitting through your class a few times. Is you're not holding anything back. You're sharing. It's not any infomercial to come to your uh, seminars. Of course, it's here's a good information. And when you leave after uh, one of your classes, you should be a better dog handler. You should have a lot more knowledge. Ready yeah, to go. absolutely. The first thing I say is, um, guys, you, you know what I'm about to say is my opinion and. Uh, you won't find it in any manual, in any doctrine, anywhere. <laughs> but it, it's coming from coming from a lot of experience, so I appreciate that. I, I know we haven't even had a chance yet to get into the search intel, so hopefully I'll be able to get you back on the show. We'll do a, a second part of this, and we'll get into the search intel, which is every bit as important as what we've been talking about today. Yeah, absolutely. Looking forward to it. I know you're real busy, and uh, we try to keep these to about – 20, 25 minutes. So with that, we're going to sign off and then we'll figure out the, the next show. And the next time we have Paul on, we'll be talking about some of this that we talked about today. And then also we'll go back, get deeper into uh, search intel and how that also will make you a better handler. Now, I'm looking forward to it, guys. And um, and also, you know, I'm teaching, uh, you know, uh, body-worn explosive detection uh, at HITS as well. So it would be nice to, um, to let people understand uh, what they can expect from that class. So if you're a bomb dog handler and you want to see Paul and, and go to these classes, go to hitscanine.net. Hitscanine.net will give you the information as to how to sign up for the seminar. Um, it's still time to sign up early. Save yourself a little bit of money. Uh, plenty of hotel rooms left at this point, but we always seem to sell out of hotel rooms. So sooner rather than later, uh, get yourself signed up. The great thing about hits that I always say is that there's lots of networking opportunities. So you can go to Paul's class and then after you're done, Talk to Paul after class, or if too busy there, stop by the booth, talk to him there, talk to him in between classes. Lots of networking, lots of time that you'll be able to go and pick Paul's brain. And uh, all of our instructors really like to spend some time with handlers that are excited about what what, what they're teaching there and uh, you know, kind of pass on a, a lot of information. So there's literally going to be thousands of years of experience uh, similar to Paul's from all different uh, walks of life, walking around there between the handlers the vendors, and of course, the instructors. So uh, come to HITS and take advantage of all that knowledge and share some of your own knowledge too. Everybody there, whether you've had a leash in your hand for two or three years or for 30 plus years, you got you have, you have some knowledge. You've had some experiences that are different, even as a new handler. So come out to HITS, uh, check out all of our vendors, all of our instructors, and uh, we'll see you in Chicago, August 13th. Again, Paul, thanks for your time today, and we'll put your contact information in the show notes for the show, and we will be uh, getting the part two episode done real soon. Thanks, Paul. Looking forward to it. HITS Radio is brought to you by the professionals at HITS Training and Consulting. 
Don't miss out on the world's largest law enforcement canine training conference coming to the McCormick Center in Chicago, Illinois this August. HITS has the most diverse class schedule to fit your training needs. And with over 100 vendors, you'll find everything you need to gear up for your next shift. Register today and save at www.hitscanine.net.